back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. Say what's up to the people, man. Steph, I'm hyped today, as always. I feel like every single time I'm talking about how hyped I am to sit down and talk about some football. <laughs> we got some interesting players to talk about. I think tempers may rise on today's episode. I think we're going to agree on some things, but just looking through some of the guys on this sheet, I think we're going to have some pretty strong disagreements as well. It's going to be a fun show. We're getting closer and closer to the NFL season. Every single time we hop on here is going to be one day closer to that opening kickoff. We're coming up on primetime draft season. The content's going to ramp up as we get into July, into August, and into September. So as always, Steph, I'm hyped to be back. I am too. And, and you can feel that energy right now. We're, we're starting to see more beat reports coming out. We're starting to see more rumors kind of taking shape. There's still some we have no idea what's going on, which which makes me a little uneasy as a fantasy guy. But today, Alex, let's get into these polarizing players. And really, it's it's polarizing ADPs that we're talking about today. And these are players that have been really big topics of discussion from both sides of the coin in our Discord channel. If you guys want to join the conversation with us, throw your two cents in the ring, get your questions answered, get your rosters and your trades reviewed. We got guys right now asking us for help every single round of their dynasty startups. Like we're, we're here for the people and we do it because it's, it's free. It's a blast. It's free. And yeah, it's this is not like some paywall content community. Like just this is a party and we want everybody to be a part of it. We want to become a hive mind of brilliant fantasy analysis. And Alex, I'm excited to talk about this first one. This this first running back. As a guy, his, his name is getting dragged through the mud on the timeline, even in the Discord. And he's been one of my biggest buy lows all offseason in Dynasty. Yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders for the Philadelphia Eagles is far and away one of the toughest running backs to pin down. To me, Miles Sanders does feel like a little bit of a trap this wow. season. I do see the upside. I do see that potential outcome. I'll get into that, but Steph, first, I want to hear your take on Miles Sanders and his current ADP of 401, 37th overall, the RB19 off the board. I will admit it's good value, but I want to hear your take on Sanders and if you're drafting him at the beginning of that fourth round. Um, beginning of the fourth and, and these ADPs are coming from underdog fantasy which is half point PPR I'd be willing to take Sanders in a PPR league I mean early to mid third round so I'm smashing wow. the ADP last year he finished at RB 18 in fantasy points per game and he's being projected to RB 19 already so in in last season I'll talk about the situation here in a minute but we should project this guy to continue to ascend still a 24 year old running back Again, a dynasty buy in all formats for me. I've been preaching about that all offseason. And he's one of the prototypes of running back that I love. It's it's this DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara. To a lesser degree, it's it's why I'm excited for, for guys that you don't like, like Chase Edmonds. And, and why I'm so excited for Travis Etienne coming in this rookie class. It's, it's this explosive, slippery running back that's efficient through the air, efficient on the ground. They give you a high floor in fantasy with pass catching volume and goal line work. And it's everything you want. We don't want the between the tackles grinders that are getting carries 
between the 20-yard lines. And I think there's a recency bias with Miles Sanders right now. So let's go over his 2020. So he was hurt last year. He was playing banged up. He was the whole engine of the Philadelphia Eagles offense, their entire offense with and without Jalen Hurts. He was top 10 in routes run. He was sixth amongst all running backs in opportunity share, which just is a, a percentage of combined carries and targets. And now this year he's competing with Carrion Johnson, who's just totally washed. We have Kenny Gainwell, who, you know, I liked him coming out uh, of college, coming out of Memphis. I know he opted out last year, and I think that's why he did fall in the draft. He was criminally slept on by the NFL, but he's a scat back at best when you have a player like Miles Sanders there. You got Boston Scott last year, was, was already relegated to a pure scat back role when Miles Sanders was in the lineup, and now Doug Peterson is gone. The running back by committee, gospel evangelist is gone from Philadelphia. We have to keep that in mind here because there's questions. I see people saying I'm fading Sanders because I don't know if he's going to get the workload. What are you talking about? He, he already showed he was getting that last year. Let me tell you this, though. Yes, Doug Peterson is gone, but their new head coach is Nick Sirianni, former offensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts, the guy who led yep, tertiary yep. running backs like Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins to a combined 170-plus carries and 92 targets in 2020. So... I get, I'm with you, Doug Peterson's gone, but Nick Sirianni coming from Indy could implement that, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines type of split between a guy like a Miles Sanders and a Kenny Gainwell, a Boston Scott, a Carrion Johnson coming in for some of those, those passing downs and giving him a blow. So I'm with you. I think overall it's an upgrade for this offense, for this coaching staff, but I don't think it's all, you know, going down this workhorse narrative for Miles Sanders um, just right off the bat, like an automatic done deal. Yeah, the, the great point on the new coaching staff. Um, the, the biggest thing for me within that is the talent. And if look at Joe Mixon last year, you know, a lot of guys are willing to take Joe Mixon as an RB1 this year. And even though last year, it's like you were willing to overlook Giovanni Bernard taking up pass catching volume, third down drives, even getting in the goal line. Uh, a few red zone touches like to me it's 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 a it's a Joe Mixon Giovanni Bernard situation from last year which does not make me fade Joe Mixon that does not make me fade Miles Sanders I think Sanders has the same high floor primary back upside on a weekly basis if he if he pops off and we did see some pop games with Jalen Hurts in the lineup Miles Sanders came out hot last year because he's good at football he's been good at football since he went absolutely nuclear As a junior at Penn State, he was making huge plays through the air in college, almost 1,300 yards from scrimmage at age 21 in a Power 5 conference, has the second-round draft capital. Things were rocky, though, last year. And I I mentioned earlier, he was playing hurt, and he missed week one. He literally came Mm -hmm. into this season and missed week one and still finished as an RB2 in fantasy points per game. And this makes me believe that he played a lot of 2020 hurt. But even despite that, he was the RB16 from weeks two to five, where you start to see Carson Wentz crumbling, crushing this offense. He had game after game with less than 200 yards, throwing interceptions. And then Miles Sanders breaks off this huge run in week six against the Ravens, suffers a knee injury on a 60-yard breakaway run, would have made it to the end zone. He misses week seven and week eight, comes back after the bye week, 
immediately gets thrown back into the RB1 workhorse role, had over 17 touches for two games straight. Then we see Carson Wentz completely crumble over his last four starts. It was brutal for Miles Sanders. Like he had the injury, he had the crumbling quarterback situation in Philadelphia, an offense that was lacking weapons in the receiving game. We had Dallas Goddard getting hurt. We had Jalen Ragor like coming in out of like COVID list and injuries and stuff. Like it was just nasty. Alshon Jeffrey was getting snaps. That that should tell you everything you need to know about this offense. And then when Jalen Hurts comes in for Carson Wentz, breathes some life back into this offense, what do you know? Miles <laughs> Sanders, aka Saquon Barkley Light, Jeez. is back to his old ways. He's putting up 29, 10, and 17 fantasy points over his last three games of the season with Jalen Hurts. He gets shut down in week 17 after the Eagles go into you know tank mode. We all know about the legendary move of, of pulling Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld in week 17 by Doug Peterson. There were there's so many reasons to hate Miles Sanders based on his 2020, but I think there's so many reasons to like him because he was hurt last year. He was still top 10 in yards per touch, commanded a 12% target share. I, I think at worst, he's an efficient pass-catching back mm-hmm. that can see 14-plus carries a game like he did last year, and you add in some goal line work in there too. Yeah, I mean, last year, you've laid it out, was worst-case scenario for Miles Sanders. And when I was digging into the stats a little bit, I was honestly shocked to see that he ran for five yards of carry. Like I thought he was far more inefficient than he was. And when I saw how actually solid he was, given everything crumbling around him, given the injury, I will admit I was a little bit surprised. So it was worst case scenario in a lot of ways in 2020, which is a reason to like Sanders, because to your point, this could be a great value pocket for him right now as we head into 2021. When we were talking about Travis Etienne in the offseason, you know, one of the biggest takeaways with him was he was scoring a majority of his touchdowns from outside the red zone, breaking away big plays and getting six points up on the board. Miles Sanders was 37th in the NFL in red zone touches. He only had three goal line carries, and he still had six touchdowns on the season while hurt in a busted Carson Wentz offense. I, I just... I see him as an exceptional player. You may think to fade Sanders with with Jalen Hurts being a rushing quarterback, and Lamar Jackson's really drove this narrative home over the last few years, and, and maybe so with Jalen Hurts. But last year, when you look at the games played with Jalen Hurts, five targets, two targets, six targets, averages out to 4.3 targets per game. <laughs> to me, Miles Sanders is a shoe-in for 65 targets, if not close to 80 targets when you have the Eagles getting into these shootouts in the NFC East with an offensive line that should be coming back healthy, brought in Devonta Smith to help the offense. I think Jalen Regor can be a fine number two option, could potentially ascend this season. Dallas Goddard's a great tight end. So I think this team's going to have their back against the wall. Probably not going to win many games. And, and to me, like that offense is, is like the Arizona Cardinals over the last few seasons where – they're so fun to watch. They don't win too many games. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. But Miles Sanders, perfect RB2 this year. And when I'm looking at drafts that I've done in you know, these 12-team PPR redraft leagues, I'm starting to lean starting my drafts running back, wide receiver, running back, or even running back, tight end, You know, get Darren Waller back at the second, and then get running back again there at the turn. Because you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Chris Carson, 
all is these fine RB2s, great RB3s in these 12-team leagues. So this, this is a value to me on Miles Sanders in the third round. You can buy him up because the recency bias is pushing his value so low. I'll admit to you, the value is good. And I like Sanders as a player. I mentioned the yards per carry last season. Looking at the stats, I mean, he was fifth amongst running backs in yards per carry with 5.3 behind only J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, and Derrick Henry. And that was behind that beat-up, crumbling offensive line that struggled so much at times um, in 2020. So I'll admit, like, the upside's there with Miles Sanders, but there's just so many red flags associated with him that, to me, like, round, end of round three, early round four – is still too early in drafts to be taking guys with this many red flags. And to your point about roster construction, I think he's fine maybe as an RB2. Ideally, an RB3 It's probably not going to shake out that way. But if I can get running backs in round one and two, and maybe even round three, you know, two running backs in the first two rounds, and I'm coming back to a Miles Sanders, in that same range, I just like the receivers way more. I think they're way safer. I like the Robert Woods... Chris Godwin tier of wide receiver late round three early round four so ideally really I'm starting out running back running back and I'm taking a Robert Woods and a Chris Godwin on that three four turn to be my two starting wide receivers so for Sanders to me it's just the ADP is okay but I just like so many guys going around him he's right in that Josh Jacobs range you can actually get Josh Jacobs almost around later than Miles Sanders and I think they're going to end up pretty close in my projections as well and I've mentioned some of the red flags with Sanders already, but I'll talk about a couple more. First, are those signals that the Eagles sent to Miles Sanders by bringing in competition? You mentioned like Carrion Johnson, Kenny Gainwell. They still have Boston Scott. No, I don't think any of those guys are significant threats from a talent perspective. But when you look at a team that brings in Jordan Howard to be a potential goal line back, that brings in Kenny Gainwell in the draft Ugh. that has a receiving skill set, Brings in Carrion Johnson to be, you know, a backup, occasional rotational player for the backfield. And they still have Boston Scott. Like those signals to me are just saying we don't trust Miles Sanders to shoulder the load and to stay healthy in this offense. And maybe I'm putting together some false narrative here. And I do think that one of these guys, probably Jordan Howard or Boston Scott or Carrion Johnson, <laughs> any of those three could get cut before the season, which could give us a little bit more clarity with this backfield. But to me, like if Miles Sanders was their guy, they wouldn't be feeling the need to bring in all these different skill sets to Philadelphia. So that is a little bit shaky for me and it, it muddies the water a little bit. The next concern is the offensive line. And I will say they are better on paper than they were in my head. They were the 19th rated line per pro football focus. Take that for what you will, whether you like their content or not in 2020 and they're ranked 17th heading into the 2021 season. So they're not like a bottom third unit, but they're not in the top half either. And they have a lot of older veterans that have struggled with injuries. They have guys like Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, these guys in their 30s on the offensive line, and they're very thin as well. So if one or two of these guys goes down again, this offensive line is immediately looking brutal once again. Now, I know they brought in Landon Dickerson in the draft, but he struggled with injuries as well um, throughout his college career. So the offensive line... I wouldn't say it's as big of a detractor as people think, but it definitely has cause for concern because if one or two things go sideways with that O-line, Miles Sanders could be looking at an uphill battle. And lastly, I think the the third red flag for me is just the offense as a whole. We don't know how it's going to look. Jalen Hurts hasn't given us a huge sample size. I know you mentioned 
the receiving volume that Sanders got when Hertz was the quarterback, which is fantastic. But the sample size is so small. I don't know that that's mm. going to be Jalen Hurts' tendency throughout 2021 and into his NFL career because you did mention the Lamar Jackson narrative of not checking down to the running back when you're a rushing quarterback, but we've seen it from just about all rushing quarterbacks in the league. We see it for we've seen it from Deshaun Watson as well in the past. Kyler Murray will throw it to Chase Edmonds a little bit more than some of the other guys, but a lot of those are designed screens, designed uh, ways to get him the ball. He lines up in the slot a lot as well. So time and time again, we have seen these rushing quarterbacks not check down as much as these pocket passers. And the reason being is because if the pocket's collapsing, if you're scrambling outside of the pocket, a guy like a Phillip Rivers has no option to run. So he has to look for that check down. Where if you're Lamar Jackson, if you're Kyler Murray, if you're Jalen Hurts, you don't have to check it down to Miles Sanders standing five yards in front of you because you have a full head of steam running around the corner to the outside and you have the speed to pick up the first down. So that is kind of why that narrative exists. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. He did struggle at times um, in 2020. He showed some flashes, but he still only posted a 52% completion percentage. So I do think the new weapons on offense help with guys like Devontae Smith. But this offense could actually be terrible in 2021. We just don't know. So a lot True. of what we're expecting from Miles Sanders hinges on the play of Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts, as a rushing quarterback, is naturally going to take some of that rushing volume near the goal line as well. So I know it sounds like I hate Miles Sanders, but I really don't. I just think there's some risk associated with him in 2021 for where he's going in drafts. I think the risk reward is completely fair. Um, you know, if you end up going early tight end or snag a stud wide receiver in round two, I do think Miles Sanders could be a fine second running back for your roster. But typically that early in drafts, I want more sure things. And I just don't know that you're getting that in Sanders. Yeah, fair, fair points too. And you're right. This offense could be complete garbage. What a fall from grace the Eagles have had Man. over the last few years since winning that Super Bowl. But one more point to push back is, is we don't need Miles Sanders to be a, you know, 80% opportunity share player to deliver for us at the ADP and fantasy. The, the perfect example to me here is Aaron Jones, mm -hmm. a guy who can get 180 carries a season, but he's going to get 65, 70, maybe even 75 targets in a 17 game season to where he can be very fantasy viable. What hurts to your point and what is baked into the ADP, why he's going lower and where the risk comes in is imagine Aaron Jones on the Eagles offense, not quite as appealing. So I think there's good points and bad points for Miles Sanders. I think we're going to continue to have debates on him. But I, I want to move over to another running back here, Alex. The guy who's going back of the fifth round. It's a pretty criminal ADP, if you ask me. 58th overall. Now, this isn't, again, half-point PPR on underdog. But it's the most realistic, accurate ADP that we've been able to find. If you, certainly, if you guys have another one, let us know. But Miles Gaskin right now is going as a low-end RB2. How does that feel to you, Alex? Well, we go from talking about Miles Sanders to talking about Miles Gaskin. and It's the Miles show. Man, like Miami did what Jacksonville should have done. You know, they have a diamond in the rough, young running back on a minimum contract that can do enough for the offense for it to succeed. So you don't need to spend significant draft capital or significant free agent dollars on a running back. We see Jacksonville go out and draft Travis Etienne in the first round, and we see Miami do the smart thing, which is sit back, sign a, a minimum veteran in free agency for some depth, take a late, late, late round rookie, but move forward with the guy that's getting it done. And I love that strategy. And I'll admit, like, Miles Gaskin doesn't quite have the name value 
to make me confident. Like I haven't seen enough from him. And when I hear Miles Gaskin, I don't get excited. But <laughs> based on the situation, Gaskin should be great. I, I hate like I can't quite get myself to draft him. I feel like I have no shares of him in some of these best ball drafts really? I've been doing. But based on the stats that I have for him, I think he's going to be fantastic. So I think my head and my heart just aren't connected on Miles Gaskin. And there's just other guys at that ADP I've been favoring, like the T. Higgins, Travis ETNs that are going right in front of him. And then, you know, Kenny G, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews are going right after him. And maybe I just need to, to suck it up and realize like, hey, all these narratives, all these hype trains you're hearing from everybody else are great, but Miles Gaskin might actually be the real value that nobody is talking about. And when I look at what he did last season, I mean, he was RB 13 in PPR fantasy points per game, 14 carries and four and a half targets per game. Like that's borderline workhorse level volume in this Miami offense. Now, my one concern with Gaskin coming into 2021, at least my perception was touchdown upside. But with Jordan Howard gone, he should get more touches near the goal line. I mean, Jordan Howard's 2020 stat line stuff on the Miami Dolphins, 35 carries for 60 yards and four touchdowns, <laughs> which is, is just absolutely ridiculous to think about. This dude's literally coming in inside the five and cramming it in for the touchdown. But I think Gaskin <laughs> should get more of those opportunities. He showed really, really strong flashes in the receiving game as well. And really his only competition for touches is Salvan Ahmed and a late round rookie, Jared Dokes, who I know you're going to get into a little bit later as well. Um, but I think Ahmed's a good a good uh, running back. I think he's the most realistic competition for touches, but I do expect Gaskin to be the leader. I expect Ahmed to come in as that guy who gives Gaskin a breather every now and then, You know, maybe for some goal line and short yardage work as well. But this is me essentially admitting as I've gone through the research on Miles Gaskin that I need to be much more willing to take him at his current ADP. He has some risk involved because, you know, he's an undrafted guy who's smaller in size and doesn't have a huge sample size in the NFL. But the upside's tremendous in the Miami offense. And I don't know that you're going to get a better value in drafts than you are with a guy like Miles Gaskin. Gaskin is, is such an interesting and, and polarizing name because all the dynasty players know that he could very easily just have a running back drafted in the first round next year and, and lose his starting role. And then he becomes nothing but a backup. Just like we saw, to your point, the James Robinson comp situationally could happen to Miles Gaskin in his next season. We just saw them take an offensive weapon sixth overall in Jalen Waddle. What's to say if there's not a stud running back next season, yeah. then I'll go all in on him. But And, and Steph, I got to correct myself. Seventh round... 234th overall. Sorry, Miles, that I said you were undrafted. You did make it into day it, three. But regardless, seventh round, 234 overall, might as well be the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's why he's not a guy you want to invest in in Dynasty. And that's why all the Dynasty players are fading Miles Gaskin. But I feel like all the redraft guys saw what Miles Gaskin was doing last year, saw that he was given the workhorse role, a three down role, and looked explosive in the passing game. You mentioned that, you know, 16 fantasy points per week average. I mean, he was good last year in fantasy, and he was a guy you probably got off your waiver wire in, in, in a lot of spots. So I think all the re redraft guys love him. Dynasty guys hate him because he doesn't have the draft capital. He doesn't have the physical presence of a, of a Zeke Elliott or Derrick Henry, but he plays the same role that they do for an <laughs> offense. And he's good enough when it comes to efficiency on the ground. You know, we know he's going to get the – 
you know, 10 to 15 carries a game. And that's just his floor. I'm being very conservative with that projection. And then, you know, you mentioned the four and a half targets per game. I expect that to stay around the same. I do have some concerns with his efficiency on the ground. He was at four yards per carry last year. I mean, he's, he's Austin Eckler light with, with this much passing work. He doesn't need to be super efficient on the ground. And I think that's probably what you found as you were going through your projections for him again, why he ended up higher than you expected. And while he wasn't electric on the ground per se, he was electric in the passing game. He was top three in yards per reception, yards per route run and catch rate. So a f- super efficient, like th- Miles Gaskin could go somewhere else after Miami and just be a third down back and probably a pretty darn mm-hmm. good NFL running back who's coming in on third downs for a team. Could play a Chase Edmonds, Naheem Hines role. That's probably what he would be if Miami went out and drafted, you know, Najee Harris this year. But what was really appealing about Miles Gaskin was his red zone usage. 42 red zone touches in 10 games. He was 13th amongst running backs in red zone touches. They rely on Miles Gaskin to get it done when they get close to the goal line. Now, that might have been last year easing Tua in. They didn't want to push Tua too much and, and throw turnovers when they're near the goal line, so they're handing it off to Miles Gaskin. But this is another hint, another cookie crumb that we can follow that shows us that Miami trusts Gaskin to get the job done. And now you've got no Jordan Howard. So those red zone touches are going to go up. You know they are. Now, the only guy that, that could uh, bring the hype train to a halt is our favorite Pokemon drafted in the back of day three, <laughs> Garrett Oaks. He, he's a backup at best. He, he's most likely behind Salvan Ackman on the depth chart to start the year. Mm-hmm. Based on what we've seen, Miami's going to rely on one guy to carry the majority of the load. Now, is Gaskin going to have those 40-point boom weeks like Alvin Kamara putting up five touchdowns on the ground last year in one game? Are you going to have Dalvin Cook type weeks where he rushes for 200 yards has the touchdown, has six receptions for another 40 yards. Like those weeks probably aren't going to come that often for Miles Gaskin. Just that's that's just not the the skill-wise, the talent-wise player that Gaskin is, and that caps his ceiling. But the volume and the efficiency makes him a safe bet. Some of the risks are already built into ADP where I feel fine smashing on him in it, at his current range. His ceiling could be reached if, you know, maybe Tua and, and the reloaded offensive weaponry allows this offense to ascend while Gaskin is the driver of the backfield. That would be to me where his true ceiling is is found. He just starts soaking up all these fantasy valuable touches. If the team sucks, I think Gaskin's going to do enough to save your RB2 spot in, in PPR leagues with that receiving volume. Fifth round is ridiculous value for a locked in to me, top 16 running back, assuming good health, and Alex, I was doing a draft the other day, and we'll get into the draft strategies as we do more of these mocks. I know you've already been putting out a bunch of those almost every week, it feels like. I started to draft Saquon, Stephon Diggs, J.K. Dobbins, Chris Godwin, and Miles Gaskin. Ooh, that's nice. That, that felt great. I love it. I mean, man, Gaskin as a wider, or excuse me, Gaskin as a running back three just feels really, really good because... Worst case scenario, something happens, it doesn't perform like you can stomach that loss because you have two stud running backs in front of Gaskin. But if he hits, you not only have depth at the position, you have upside at the position, and you have something that everyone in your league wants, which is another workhorse running back. So I love Miles Gaskin. If you can get him as your third running back in 2021. But Steph, let's talk about another running back going in that RB3 range. It's Damian Harris. Right now, his ADP on underdog is 88th overall. That's in the eighth round. He's going as the RB32. 
I have my fair share of concerns about <laughs> Damian Harris. As Steph, I want to hear I want to hear what you think about Damian Harris and how you think this Patriots backfield is going to shake out for 2021. I think you got to take him in that range if you're looking for, you know, whether it's a zero RB roster or just the way the values fall to you. If you are looking for that RB3 late, um, or even if you need a desperation RB2 because you just smashed <laughs> everywhere else, you got the, the loaded tight end. Now, I would never tell anyone to do this. But let's just say the way the draft plays out, you, you're coming into that eighth round and you got Mahomes, you got Waller, you got some stud wide receivers mixed in there. I, I don't mind Damian Harris as a, as a flyer RB2 with a zero RB type roster construction. And, and I do think Damian Harris's ADP is going to rise because we mm. already have beat reports coming out. It's funny that the day that we recorded the show, we had ESPN's Mike Reese coming out and saying that he sees Damian Harris as the Patriots' number one running back, and he said, quote, it's pretty decisive. So you mm-hmm. have the beat reports saying that Damian Harris is going to be the RB1 on this team. But traditionally, in fantasy, you want to stay away from the New England backfield. And I think that's turning a lot of people off to Damian Harris. But this year you have Harris as the clear number one in terms of, of his ability from the running backs in that room. He's the only running back in that backfield of, of Sony Michelle, James White, Ramondre Stevenson. He's the only one with a true three down skill set. So there is a chance, and this is why you're taking him in the eighth round at all. There's there's a non-zero opportunity for Damian Harris to be a three down workhorse in the NFL in 2021. For a team that ran the ball a ton last year, this year it's probably going to be a different story with Mac Jones coming in. But I see Damian Harris as a guy that's cut from the same cloth as Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. I think his profile puts him somewhere between the two. And I know I'm like helmet scouting here with these are the Alabama prospects that, you know, they were hyper efficient on the ground and through the air in college and then never commanded a full workload in that backfield. Like that's the Harris mold to me. But you have Sony Michelle as a cut candidate. New England already declined his fifth year option this offseason. He's past the age apex of 26 years old. He has all these knee injuries that are holding him back. At best, he's a between-the-tackles grinder. You have James White, who was signing a one-year deal. He's a veteran scat back. I'm sure he's going to get plenty of targets this year. But I still think there's volume that can be there, especially if Mac Jones takes over. And I want to talk about that more later. But Ramon J. Stevenson, he's a fourth-round pick. The draft capital doesn't scare me at all. He's a goal line back at most. Some say he's he's poised for the, the Garrett Blunt role. <laughs> I see him more playing the James Devlin Rex Burkhead role, which doesn't scare me at all for Damian Harris. Maybe it should, right? If they're the ones scoring touchdowns, but let's be real. This is an offense that's not going to give Ramondre Stevenson the opportunity to have 18 goal line carries Maybe. that turn into touchdowns. Maybe. Well, 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 let's talk about it in a minute because I want to talk about Damian Harris's 2020. He, the, the real issue, the scary pitfall, the huge red flag, that anyone can see if you just look at his game log is he was not used as a pass catcher at all in 2020. And it's 0.7 targets per game. Ah, just absolutely brutal. It's going to crush, you know, if, if he stays in that role, it's really going to hurt all the fantasy players that, that want to see him get those touches. But last year, that Patriots offense was, was trying to figure things out with cam. It fully felt like a bridge year and Belichick was running the most vanilla offense that I think we've ever seen. We we had 
each of these running backs playing exclusively one role. Like James White was exclusively used as a pass catcher. Damien Harris was used exclusively as a between the tackles grinder. And then you had the Rex Burksheads and the James Devlin that were clearly goal line backs. And that's how we use these guys. I think, and I hope that Belichick is going to see the talent of Damien Harris, say, we got to get this guy the ball, see that he's an explosive playmaker and say, look, I, I don't care what I did last year. What, whatever the blueprint was last year, let's scrap that and give the ball to the best player in the backfield. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And Damian Harris's upside in 2021 could fully hinge on the quarterback transition from Cam Newton to Mac Jones. Because when Cam Newton is the starter in this offense, Damian Harris continues to lose touchdown opportunity. He continues to lose rushing volume. He continues to lose any appeal in the receiving game. So to me, like Damian Harris, if he is going to realize his full potential in 2021, he needs Mac Jones to take over sooner rather than later in this offense. But even then, I will say you'll have a rookie quarterback with below average weapons leading this offense, which is some cause for concern. So, you know, I agree with you that Michelle is a cut candidate as well, but he was more efficient than Harris last season. It's you know, crazy Harris about. was fantastic efficiency wise, but Sony Michelle, like when he was healthy, wasn't half bad. And that's kind of wishing a best case scenario for Damian Harris in this offense. Damian Harris, just 41% of snaps in 2020. So if anything, I do expect that to increase in 2021, leading to more, hopefully receiving output and rushing output um, in this Pats offense. Now I mentioned a second ago, this, this team ran the ball third, most in the NFL last year, and they were bottom six in points per game. They were for all intents and purposes, a garbage offense both in terms of fantasy, like it was Cam Newton and nobody else. And in real life, they were terrible. But you had Damian Harris facing the highest average defenders in the box amongst all running backs last year because teams went all in on stopping Cam Newton in the rushing attack. Despite that, Harris was this efficient rusher, was consistently breaking away for chunk yardage, averaged five yards per carry over 137 touches. He was top 10 in juke rate, top 10 in yards created per touch. I think Harris could be a low upside floor play at worst. Where, you know, it's almost like a Gus Edwards mm-hmm. where he's just going to give you, you know, 60, 70 yards and that's it. Like hope for the goal line touch and, and call it a day, but at worst, if he's getting 15 carries a game as the RB1 in a run-first offense, supposedly, that, that that's pretty appealing to me. That makes him worth that eighth-round upside shot. Could be a three-down workhorse. Could be the last three-down workhorse on these draft boards when you're making decisions on the clock. I can can live and sleep peacefully at night with Damian Harris as the RB3 on my roster if I'm loaded at the other positions. I'm actually taking Leonard Fournette at that ADP because mm-hmm. – He's proven to get more valuable touches in a higher scoring offense. So that's where the appeal comes in. But if you're looking for a guy who's just going to give you some usage, give you some volume and have a sneaky upside with Mac Jones coming in, what if Mac Jones plays the Tom Brady role? As, as stupid as that is to say, as as most surface level and basic as that is, we know he's not a mobile QB. And that was something you were talking about a second ago when we were talking about Miles Sanders. Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, these type of QBs are going to target the running back position. That was why I went on to the Fantasy Stock Exchange and was arguing for DeAndre Swift over J.K. Dobbins this year. is because he has a quarterback who has one of the lowest yards per attempts 
over the last three seasons in Jared Goff. So that's what you could be getting as far as passing and usage with Mac Jones coming in. And I think Mac Jones, my bet right now would be week five is when we're going to yeah. see Mac Jones enter the lineup. I'm, I'm operating as if Mac Jones is going to be the starter for most of the year. I mean, I I don't know that Damien, you mentioned he could be that three down workhorse. I just don't know that to be true. I think James White being back basically eliminates any potential for Damien Harris to be that guy. And I think he has a shot to return on the value right now, but I'm just not betting on it. There's just so much working against Damian Harris than there is working for him. He's been in the NFL two seasons now, and what do we have to show for it? Like, he's got 700 yards and two touchdowns in two seasons. He was a late third-round pick. He's not an, you know, an above-average explosive athlete. He's middle of the pack in terms of his measurables. So to me, like, if the Pats are sixth in the NFL in rushing touchdowns last season and Damian Harris has two that's a problem. They were six in the NFL in rush touchdowns. Yet Damian Harris, their workhorse lead back, had fewer rushing touchdowns than Jacoby Brissett, who's the backup quarterback for the Colts. The same <laughs> amount of rushing touchdowns as Trey Burton, the tight end for the Colts. So In all fairness, that, in all fairness, Cam Newton was the RB one for the Patriots last year. But yes, I know. That's a good point. I know. I know. And that's and that's something that's working against him. I think we we both do definitely agree that the Mac Jones transition is where the upside lies. But yeah, 19 red zone carries all of last season. That's fewer than Gus Edwards, fewer than Latavius Murray, fewer than Kalen Balage. But part of the concern for me is that now you do have Ramondre Stevenson there and we've broken down Stevenson. Check out that video on our channel if you haven't already. Steph and I don't believe in him as a prospect to summarize. But whether we believe in him long-term as a prospect or not, he is a plotter that is going to be a threat for short yardage and goal line work. So that's why Damian Harris is concerning to me. Yes, Sonny Michelle, like we've mentioned several times, is a cut candidate, but that's still just projecting a scenario. And honestly, if Michelle gets cut, Damian Harris's ADP is going to continue to climb to where he's no longer a value. The, the so, other interesting thing too, when we're talking about opportunity costs with Damian Harris, it's like, why not wait two rounds and just get Gus Edwards or get AJ Dillon or get a Tony Pollard? I thank you. It's, it's like you read my mind. It's like you read my mind. I, I have literally in my notes that I'm looking at, I don't think he's going to be useless. I think Damian Harris, like you said, could be a guy you can plug in desperation, get 10 to 15 touches and hope for the touchdown. But he is in that Gus Edwards, James Conner, Ronald Jones tier for me. And you can get those guys two or three rounds later. So to me, it just doesn't make sense to take Damian Harris anyway, anywhere. Um, but I will say, I'm not totally, totally out on Damian Harris this year. I think I'm just out on him at his ADP. Because if you're in a league and you get through two weeks, three weeks of the season, the Patriots have lost a couple of games. Damian Harris isn't quite returning on value. He hasn't gotten in the end zone. He's not putting up points, but he's getting some decent touches and snaps. I might be willing to try to buy low on Harris after about week three, week two, week three, or maybe even pick him up on waivers if he starts out really bad and someone drops him. Because like we've said, if Mac Jones does come in week five, week six, you could see this offense look totally different. You could see Harris starting to get involved in the receiving game, and you could actually get value out of him in that way for 2021. Whew, Alex, we are flowing right now with these takes. I'm, I'm pumped up. Like I'm ready to start drafting for the redraft season right now, but we need to talk about some wide receivers before we do that. Guys, if you like the show, a like and a sub, always appreciate it here on YouTube. Just got to throw out that quick plug, get those algorithms working in our favor. <laughs> 
get the SEO pumping. But Alex, let's talk about Juju Smith-Schuster. He is being left for dead. And and in a lot of ways, he's not a sexy pick this year. He's falling into that Jarvis Landry, that that Tyler Boyd range where it's just these like guys that you kind of know in your heart of hearts, like they're probably going to be solid for the year, but they just don't have any, any sex appeal. They don't have any upside that makes you want to rush out and draft these guys. And that's why he's going back of the seventh round for Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver 38 per underdog fantasy's ADP. That's half point PPR. So Alex, how do you feel about this ADP? It feels, feels pretty ridiculous. I, I literally just had to go into underdog and validate that ADP wide receiver 38. And it's right. And it's just, it's egregious to me. Like, what are we doing? Why is Juju wide receiver 38? This makes absolutely no sense to me. People act like he sucked last year for fantasy football. He was the wide receiver 16 in full PPR. He was a high-end wide receiver too for the full season. And for some reason, he's trash now. It, it, it just makes absolutely no sense. He's an absolute steal in drafts in the back of the seventh round. And he's being valued at his absolute floor. He posted 128 targets in 2020. He should be a lock for another 120 plus targets in 2021, even with Chase Claypool continuing to emerge. And I I think it's this whole narrative about like the way the Steelers ended the season. Big Ben and his noodle arm can't push the ball down the field. But honestly, I think that could work out in Juju's favor in these PPR formats because average depth of target is something we look at for quarterbacks and for these wide receivers. And typically, if you're a wide receiver, you want a high average depth of target. Every target you get, you want to be able to maximize the yards that you're getting. You want to be able to get those receptions downfield that can turn into these big plays and these touchdowns. In 2020, Big Ben's average depth of target was 6.9 yards. That's very, very low. Juju Smith-Schuster's average depth of target was 5.5 yards, which is honestly terrible if we're looking at that metric on its own. But you look at Deontay Johnson, who is at 7.9 average depth of target. You look at Claypool, who is at 13.2 average depth of target. And you look at Juju at 5.5. And when I connect Big Ben's low A dot and Juju's low A dot, I'm saying, well, this kind of lines up because if Big Ben's struggling to push it down the field, if he's wanting to throw underneath to the slot, these little checkdowns. Juju Smith-Schuster could absolutely eat in the slot. He could absolutely eat on these underneath routes because if Big Ben's not looking to push it downfield or can't push it downfield or doesn't have confidence to push it downfield, he's just going to keep checking down underneath to Juju, who's going to be wide open all day because you have these threats in Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool on the outside. So I think in a weird way, that could actually lead to Juju's volume being much, much higher than we expect in 2021 and Smith Schuster also possesses touchdown upside. We don't think of him as one of these big bodied red zone threats, but in three full seasons that he's played with big Ben, he's posted seven or more touchdowns in each of those seasons because he just has crafty ways to get open near the goal line. And he and big Ben do have a really, really strong rapport and really, really good connection. So I think 85 plus receptions, 850 plus yards, and five touchdowns is like an absolute floor baseline for Juju in 2021. And that puts him right in that wide receiver two range for these PPR formats. That's a significant return on value from his current ADP. I'll admit with Juju, you're probably not getting that top 10 upside this season. You're not getting really that wide receiver one upside, but in the back of the seventh round 
at the wide receiver 38 right now. If you do start off your draft with with three good running backs in those first four or five rounds like we recommend, you come back and you get a couple of stud wide receivers as well. And you can snag Juju as a guy that's your wide receiver three or your flex. That is a perfect floor play for your PPR roster. And I just honestly can't believe that that ADP is where it is. I, I, I really hope for just the sake of all that is right, that his ADP does rise as we get closer to the season. But if it doesn't, I'm just going to keep snagging that value all day long. You have a guy who's on an offense that's been, when, when Big Ben's been driving the van, <laughs> he's been number one or number two in, in pass attempts per game. So we're talking about an offense that if all remains constant, assuming his elbow doesn't just totally fall off his body and it's Dwayne Haskins taking over for the season, this should be a very voluminous offense. I know their defense is good. Doesn't matter. We saw their defense crumble towards the end of last year. And they were still number two in team pass plays per game last year with the stud defense. Now, you have Najee Harris coming in. Will probably help the running game. I, I think we can all project that. No, the offensive line didn't get too much better. And I think people are fading Juju because they're excited about Chase Claypool. Mm-hmm. And Deontay Johnson's kind of like fully broken out to what now where people like him a lot. So I think people say, oh, you know, the number three on an offense that's not pushing the ball downfield, he might be the number three in the passing game. But even at his target share last year, 19.6% target share, he was number 41, 41st in the NFL. His target share sucks, but there's just so much volume that he was able to finish 15th in targets last year, eight targets per game. Exactly. And and to your point, you know, what area of the field are we certainly not going to push the ball deep? It's going to be in the red zone because you've got to get in that end zone. You are back against the wall, essentially, as far as your play calling. Juju Smith-Schuster last year was fourth in the NFL in red zone targets. So we're talking about a guy that's relied upon for high-value touches, do we expect him to be a yardage monster? No, because he's going to have that low average at the target, but he's going to get a ton of receptions. And he was 13th last year in yards after the catch. I still think Juju is very good as a football player. I think he can make big plays. He's shown that he's explosive every year leading up to this. Maybe last year we could discount some of that due to injury, but he still had some breakaway plays, even without big men on a terrible offense. And before he even really took over as the, the number two or de facto number one post Antonio Brown for the Steelers, he was a special teams monster. Like Juju is a good football player. I, don't, I think people are going way too far. Yes, he's not the sexy pick. Yes, the offense caps his ceiling. And, and even if Najee Harris does take away some of the, the low depth of target pass catching, it should open up more for Juju to just soak up all these targets, uh, have more room to make plays after the catch. And I expect him to still get those those red zone and those end zone looks. So I'm with you. He's he's a floor play. That that's why he's not sexy, but he's certainly a guy who can fill in your wide receiver three, your flex on any given week. He's a guy I'd love to have just sitting there on my bench as just a, a old reliable to plug in, in my lineup. So Steph, let's talk about another wide receiver. This guy, very, very different than a floor play, to say the least, in 2021. It's Julio Jones. Now on the Tennessee Titans, walks in with A.J. Brown, with Derrick Henry, with Ryan Tannehill. Julio Jones, surprisingly to me, is going 40th overall right now in in these underdog ADPs. People are excited. At the 404 wide receiver 16. That is a little bit rich. 
Steph, I know we're all excited about Julio Jones in Tennessee. We know he's still an elite talent. What do you think about Julio at this current ADP? I think he's a guy that I'd love to have as my wide receiver too this year, but but wide receiver 16, if you're going to go out and project out stats for the whole season, which Alex and I do, we did it last year, and that's where our rankings and takes come from a lot of the time. We're doing all of our due diligence to make sure we put together the most conservative, realistic projections we possibly can. But if you're going to project anywhere close to wide receiver 16 for Julio Jones, that's it's generous. Because yes. this is a guy that, that is past the age apex. He has some injury risk. I know he's a future Hall of Famer. We, we know Julio's good. He was a hyper-efficient stud last year. He was third in targets per route run and yards per target. And in games where he had over 70% of snaps played, he had 19 fantasy points on average. He was averaging 109 yards per game, 8.8 targets per game. He was commanding volume for Matt Ryan. In five out of the seven games that he hit that 70% snap threshold, he had 97 or more receiving yards. So from the yardage alone, from the efficiency of his receptions, he was delivering for fantasy every time he played the game uh, and didn't leave early with you know a hamstring tweak or something like that. So you sprinkle in a touchdown or two, you get the boom weeks from him. I think you are getting a weekly flex name from Julio Jones, a fine wide receiver two name in Julio Jones. I just can't take him early or mid fourth round when you have the Miles Sanders, David Montgomery's, Travis Etienne's, Miles Gaskins, even mm-hmm. like Jamar Chase, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. And what it comes down to is his new situation. We've, we've given Julio the benefit of the doubt because he's been on one of the highest pass volume teams in the NFL of the last five years. And now he enters a team where they were third worst in the NFL last year in, in pass attempts. 485 pass attempts on the season. That's that's absolutely terrible. So even if we're going to project for, let's just say they do pass a little bit more. And let's say Julio Jones can maintain a 25% target share, which he's pretty much <laughs> had every single year of his career. If, if he can remain not only the target hog first read over A.J. Brown, and let's just say the pass volume stays the same. We're talking 124 targets over a 17-game season. That's seven targets a game. And that's slightly lower than A.J. Brown last year. Now, to finish as well as A.J. Brown did fantasy-wise, he had to score 11 touchdowns and be near the top in every efficiency metric for wide receivers in the NFL. So, look, it's not impossible for Julio to even be a wide receiver one. I, I think there's a non-zero chance this might be a hot take to some people. When both are healthy, I think Julio Jones can can out-target A.J. Brown on any given week. But we're giving the benefit of the doubt to Julio against the guy who's 24 years old, at his prime, prove that he's an alpha wide receiver in the NFL, prove that he can create yardage after the catch, catching these deep receptions, being efficient with the, the touchdown volume. He's coming off a huge fantasy season with seventh overall at the wide receiver position in fantasy points per game. So, Alex, I'm curious how you project the Titans this year from a volume standpoint. Like, does Julio impact the amount of times they're going to pass? Because we did see in the right game scripts, they did become a little bit more of a pass-heavy team. I think they will pass a little bit more this season. But at the end of the day, I mean, their identity is still going to be the same under Mike Vrabel. And, And to your point about you know that battle between A.J. Brown and Julio Jones on the outside. One, I think they're really going to open up the field for each other. But for the first time in Julio Jones' career, he's probably going to be 
facing number two corners. I mean, he's always getting that primetime best corner on the opposite side of the ball. And I think teams are going to line that guy up against A.J. Brown in 2021. You and I certainly are going to have A.J. Brown projected for a much bigger season than Julio Jones. But to your point, I don't think that's going to be on a week-in and week-out basis. We're going to see Julio Jones have those spike weeks, especially in games when the Titans do get into shootouts and need to throw the ball. And if you look at the vacated targets on this offense, Johnu Smith and Corey Davis alone vacate 157 targets. So there should still be more than enough volume to go around in Tennessee. It should be incredibly efficient with Tannehill at quarterback, with a guy like Julio Jones and what we know he can do at the wide receiver spot. But um, man, I, I, I'm I'm with you on struggling with Julio at that current ADP. I think he probably does finish in the top 24. I think at the end of the season, when it's all said and done, if he can play the majority of the games, we're going to look at Julio Jones and say he was a top 24 wide receiver. But it just might be a little bit more inconsistent on you know week in and week out basis with with when those points are coming. And we've seen low volume teams support two alpha wide receivers we've seen the vikings support adam thielen an older guy and justin jefferson the young buck and then we've also seen it happen in seattle with guys like tyler lockett and dk metcalf so there definitely is a script for low volume teams to support two high-end fantasy football wide receiver options and i think that's what we're going to have ultimately in tennessee for 2021 Great point on these these run first teams that you know just funnel all the volume to two wide receivers. It's it's a prototype we've seen before, and that's actually where like I put Julio Jones in the Tyler Lockett range mm-hmm. as far as their ADPs, and and I would take both of those guys probably in the same range because I think they're going to be both boom busts, low volume options that but we know they're good players. We know they're going to be efficient with their touches, so that's where I have them now. The thing about Tennessee for this year, I, I was trying to look like. The game scripts last season, they did get into some boat races. They did have to air the ball out a lot of the time. And it was like, that to me was when their offense looked like it was at its worst. Um, because they do need to rely on Derrick Henry so much. But Ryan Tannehill's proven like he's Russell Wilson light at this point. He's going to be efficient no matter how often you ask him to throw the ball. I think the Tennessee Titans went out and, and addressed their defense this year. And, and signing Julio Jones was a win now move. And I... If I'm the Titans GM, I probably look at my team as a, as a very much a win now team because they spent five of the seven draft picks they had in 2021 on the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Danico Autry as a veteran piece on the defensive line from Indianapolis. They go out and sign, make a spot signing on Bud Dupree, go get a veteran playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. They signed Janoris Jenkins from New Orleans. They took Caleb Farley as well in the draft, first round. Exactly. They they were they went out and addressed the defense. They said, look, our defense is crumbling. Let's go address that side of the ball. The offense can stay the same. We'll add in one upgrade with Julio Jones to make up for losing, you know, Johnny Smith. But even giving the Titans the benefit of the doubt from their efficiency, from their volume, I don't think Julio's truly gonna get close to to that ceiling like even like a wide receiver one and I know that's not where he's going but wide receiver 16 is pretty aggressive for a guy that's that's really only going to see that stud volume if if Derrick Henry goes down or if AJ Brown goes down um it's just two things I don't want to bet on going into the season at the draft um Alex are you with me on that I am and ultimately the only winner in terms of fantasy football value on the Tennessee Titans from the Julio Jones move was Ryan Tannehill. 
Julio Jones, to me, would have had a much better outlook on Atlanta. A.J. Brown would have had the opportunity for some more volume this season as well. Tannehill's the big winner there, and I I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I think we've pretty much covered it with Julio Jones in Tennessee. But the last thing I want to mention that we haven't talked about yet is wide receivers going to a new offense, going to a new system. Historically, we have seen receivers struggle going to new teams at, you know, after their first contract in their late 20s, in their early 30s. Now, in this past season, we've seen Stephon Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, some of these guys really rewrite that narrative, which is awesome to see, really encouraging to see. And I definitely think Julio Jones, with the experience level that he has, the athlete that he is, is going to be able to overcome any kind of obstacles with a new offense, building a rapport with a new quarterback. I'm not necessarily concerned about that, but I just see some scary parallels here between Julio Jones and Andre Johnson late in his career. Andre Johnson was a guy who was a top 10 wide receiver year in and year out, target monster, put up huge reception totals, huge yardage totals, but he never scored double-digit touchdowns in a season in the NFL. Kind of similar to a guy like Julio Jones in terms of where they're putting up the production on the stat sheet. Great point. Andre Johnson, Andre Johnson's last year in Houston at age 33 did show some signs of starting to slow down a little bit, kind of similar to what we saw from Julio in Atlanta last season, although Julio was more driven by injuries rather than actual production on the field. But when Andre Johnson, late in his career, switched teams to the Indianapolis Colts, his production absolutely fell off of a cliff. So no, I don't necessarily want to compare Julio Jones at age 32 from what we saw from Julio on the field last season to Andre Johnson at age 33, 34. But I just want to bring up the point that like Julio's into his thirties, he's switching teams. He's battled some injuries over the past couple of seasons. So you just never know how that overall production is going to translate to a new team. Something to think about and consider for Julio. I think he still has a ton of juice. He's going to be fantastic for Tennessee this season. Absolute stud wide receiver. But we could be coming down to the wire here in Julio Jones' career. And it's just a matter of how much longer can he retain that elite production. And especially on the Titans, for all the reasons we've mentioned, I have some concerns. Woo! Alex, what a show. What what hot takes we're dropping. I'm I'm my mind is blown and I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. Let's go. But let's go ahead and wrap up. If you guys like the show. Again, a like and a sub really, really helps the algorithms for us, gets us more exposure, keeps the brand moving forward. We got some really exciting projects in the works right now. Don't want to say too much, but really exciting projects is all I'll say. And again, if you want to join the conversation with us, hit us up. You need help in your fantasy journey that you're on, whether it's Dynasty, Redraft, Best Ball, you name it. Hit that Discord link down below and join the conversation. And we'll talk to you guys later. See you next time. Peace. Peace.